Hello everybody, my name is Nkozi and welcome to the Two Sides of a Coin podcast. This week we're going to talk about the latest installment in the Transformers franchise, Transformers Rise of the Beast. And also, we're going to have a little bit of discussion around a movie that's coming out, The Flash, and some of the criticisms that are around that movie already in terms of if people should watch it or if they shouldn't. So, let's get into it. So, in any kind of action franchise, I consider that there are levels to them. Not every action franchise, of course, stands equal. So, when I look at the Transformers franchise, it's had a lot of successful movies. However, I don't think anybody would put the Transformers franchise on the same level as, let's say, a Fast and Furious or a Marvel Cinematic Universe. Most people would say it's popular. It absolutely is popular. The cartoons and the toys go back over 40 years at this point, but nobody would put it at that level. I don't think anybody would even put the Transformers franchise as a whole at the Star Wars or the Star Trek level. It's had success, true. But I don't think it's had the continuous level of success that those franchises have had. So jumping into Transformers Rise of the Beast, it's very understandable to say that, hey, if you did not watch the previous Transformers movies and you're just jumping into it, it makes sense because... The Transformers movies are not like other franchises where if you miss a movie or two, you are going to be completely lost. The story for Transformers largely has the same overarching point, even if there are different causes to those points. It's about Optimus Prime and the Autobots teaming up with a person or a couple of people in order to eventually save the world and hopefully to find a way to get home. That's, in general, the plot of every single Transformers movie. It hasn't deviated much from the first live-action Transformers movie, and I don't think it's going to deviate much in the future. The difference is, with this movie is this movie takes a small departure in that it doesn't follow a lot of the previous Transformers movies. Instead, this movie, Transformers Rise of the Beast, is really a sequel to the previous Transformers movie, and that is Bumblebee with Haley Steinfeld. And if you remember with Bumblebee, That took the Transformers franchise way in the back. It took it back decades in the past, and it introduced some of our favorite characters. It introduced Bumblebee, it introduced, you know, Megatron and Optimus Prime and a couple of other Transformers. And in that movie, it was really trying to tell a smaller story, even though it still had Transformers in it. And while it wasn't incredibly well received at the box office in terms of the amount of money it made, it was very well received in terms of the critical reception. People liked it. So Transformers Rise of the Beast more takes place after that movie because this movie doesn't acknowledge the other ones. It takes place in the 90s. So not that far back from Bumblebee a couple years afterwards. But the big thing with this movie, really, Transformers Rise of the Beast, is, as I said before, Transformers isn't that top-tier action movie franchise. It's 
a tier maybe two below but you know what i'm gonna give it the benefit of doubt and say that it's not a two tiers below i would say it's just a tier below and when you get this kind of franchise the interesting thing is you're gonna get actors who are in my opinion really good or who are just starting to break through so you're going to get some in my opinion good actors but they're not at the star power yet where they can overshadow the transformers so that's what we get in this movie you know we get anthony ramos's character who plays noah diaz and Noah Diaz, he's a kid who grew up in Brooklyn in 1990s New York. He's an ex-military guy, knows his way around electronics. You'd hope they'd have a guy who knows their way around electronics with the Transformers, but that's getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. And he's back from the army and he is a little down on his luck. He's looking after some families, looking after his brother. He's got a disease. He's got sickle cell. So he's being the big brother. He's being the guy who's trying to really help his family and his mom, who's played by Luna Loren Velez, who, you know, got to give her props to that. She's in two big franchises she's in it's spider-verse she plays miles mom and now she plays the mom of a guy who works with transformers so hey big ups to luna lauren velez get that bag anyways going back to anthony ramos's character noah He's just a guy out there. He's trying to support himself. He's trying to do things on the straight and narrow. And things are, they're just not breaking his way. Maybe he's got to find other ways to make some money. And who knows? Maybe one of those other ways that he makes the money that he needs to help support his family, to help support his brother to pay for his treatments is you know maybe it involves a little bit of auto theft from some rich people i mean who's really going to notice these guys have such expensive cars they got so much money it's like a community service they'll just put the money back in his pocket but what if you steal the wrong car what if you steal a car that isn't a car and what if the car you steal is a transformer who takes you on a little joyride? Well, that's where the rest of the movie goes from there. So let's just take some things off the board immediately. And that is how good are the humans in a Transformers movie? The answer to that is, they're okay. I will say, I think all of the actors in here, outside of one, are all decent to good actors. I just think they aren't given any kind of real, you know, dialogue to say. I think the best lines are being saved for the stars of the movie who are the Transformers. So, Anthony Ramos, of course, we all know him as Philip Hamilton or John Lawrence from Hamilton. We have Dominique Fishback, and you might know her from Judas and the Black Messiah or the new Amazon show that she was on, you know, Swarm. And as I said, you had Lo you had Luna Lauren Velez in here. You know, Anthony Ramos's brother in the movie is played by uh Dean Scott Vasquez. You have uh Sarah Stills. She plays D 
Dominique Fishback's boss because Dominique Fishback, she's an artifact researcher and an intern at a museum. And you also have a couple others. You have uh, Toby Ingwe as the local guy who's on the wrong path, who does a little car theft, who is a little bit of a friend in the movie. But there's also another person. I'm not going to reveal who he is just yet because he is a major spoiler in the movie. And what I will say is this. The script for the humans is okay. It's not great. A lot of it is they are used as exposition dumps. So they will tell, not necessarily show anything. You know, you have Anthony Ramos. He plays standard Puerto Rican kid down on his luck. That's mostly his character. I mean, they try and introduce a little bit of, you know, some drama between him and the Transformers because in this movie, the Transformers are trying to get home, which is understandable, of course. But because they're trying to get home, they're not necessarily fully concerned or necessarily putting humanity before themselves. So Anthony Ramos is really able to catch on to that very quickly. And he's like, yeah, these guys aren't necessarily looking out for us. They're looking out for themselves, which I respect. But I can't necessarily think about that. I need to look out for me and my brother and then the rest of humanity. But mostly me and my brother. If I look out for us too, I'll look out for everybody else. It's a standard way to write a character it's not anything you know incredibly groundbreaking Dominique Fishback she plays Elena Wallace as I said before she's an artifact researcher at a museum she's okay it's really not the acting that gets me with this movie everybody in here plays their role well i think the only person that's shortchanged really is uh toby ingwe's character reek i think he's just given the short end of the stick because he's just given cliche after cliche after cliche to read and it honestly his character became annoying after a couple minutes and it wasn't it wasn't because he was doing a bad job. I actually think he was doing an okay job. His character was just written to be incredibly annoying. And I wish they would have gone a different way. But that's just me. I am not the guy who was in the room where it happened. I will not make any more Hamilton jokes after that. Probably. Maybe. I'm I'm yeah, I'm definitely going to, but I will keep them to a meeting. I'll keep them to a minimum. Anyways, I already talked about Luna Loren Velez. Uh, Sarah Stills, she plays Jillian, Elena's boss. She's in and out of this movie. Blink and you will miss her character. She is out of this movie so fast. And with Dean Scott Vasquez, he's not playing an annoying child, which is a plus. It's an absolute plus. They just did not make him an incredibly interesting child, which is not on him. It is definitely on the writing. They could have wrote him interesting. However, this is the rub when it comes to any Transformers movie. The more interesting you write the humans, it takes away or can take away from the Transformers being interesting. And in a Transformers movie, you want your Transformers to be the most interesting thing in the movie. You can't run away from that. So I don't, it's a knock, but it's not a huge knock because 
these characters all play the roles that they play, which is to advance the story for the Transformers, not necessarily to advance their own personal stories. I mean, at a certain point, the characters, the human characters mostly, you know, are two main leads, you know, Noah and Elena, they get their big moments where they step up and they have to do the big thing that helps the Transformers. Honestly, that's okay. It's not, it's not bad. I definitely was making Hamilton jokes in my head at certain points, especially the ending conversation between Chris and Noah. I'm, I was just, yeah, it, it, you know it when you see it. I was just saying like, my name is Alexander Hamilton. I, it just came to my head immediately, but that's just me. If you are in that moment, I'm sure it's nice and sweet. It just came off as cookie cutter to me, but I'm a much more cynical person. So let's now get to the stars of this movie, you know, because the Transformers are the stars of the movies. Their name is the first thing you see in these Transformers movies. Even Bumblebee, he's a Transformer. They didn't have Haley Steinfeld's character's name on there. So let's go to the Transformers. Of course, you have to have Optimus Prime. You have to have Bumblebee. And after them, you get a couple of different Transformers. So let's start with the new ones before we get to some of the older ones. So we get Mirage, who starts out as a Porsche. He's the car that Anthony Ramos's character tries to hotwire to steal and that's played by Pete Davidson. I will say this about Pete Davidson in this movie. He was not terrible. I think he rode the line decently between being the funny character, the comedy relief in the movie without becoming so much the comedy relief that you just wanted him to leave. Like you're just like go. I, I don't care about you anymore. You cracked one too many jokes. I'm tired of you. You need to go home. Thankfully Pete Davidson was not that. Pete Davidson was okay. I thought they balanced the action and the humor with this character. For the most part okay. But. They never went so far where they lost me with Mirage, which is a benefit to and it's a credit to the movie and the writers, which just goes to show they can write good actors as long as they're not humans. Anyways, the next newest Transformer, you have uh, Liza Koshy in there. She plays R.C., who is the motorcycle transformer who transforms and is the sharpshooter in this movie honestly i had to look this up and find out this was liza koshi i think she did a pretty good job in disappearing into the role it could be that or it could just be i have not heard liza koshi talk in a very long time i just didn't recognize her Throughout the entire movie, I was wondering who that was. So when I read her name doing the research in this movie, I was like, oh, well, that is surprising. But she did a pretty good job. You have uh, you have some of the one of the newer Transformers is Cristo Fernandez. He plays a new Transformer transformer an autobot called wheeljack and he's a volkswagen panel bus and he's like a scientist and a mechanic he's also the only transformer that speaks with a mexican accent now i recognize the voice immediately if you didn't recognize him you'll remember that uh football is life because cristo fernandez of course plays danny rojas in the 
very, very popular show, Ted Lasso. So I thought it was a nice way, even after Ted Lasso has uh, dropped and it's finished its series. I really do have to give a review of that, but that's neither here nor there. I did think it was nice to hear his voice in this movie as well. And you also have a uh, John DiMaggio. He plays Stratosphere, who is the old Autobot you see from previous movies, who is a cargo plane. He provides usually the transportation for the other Autobots, so you might recognize him from previous installments. And that's really it for the Autobots. Now, we said Rise of the Beasts, that was the title of this movie, so we're going to get some new Transformers here called the Maximals. And these, of course, are the Transformers that transform into animals. So you had uh, Ron Perlman come in. He was the leader of the Maximals. He was called Optimus Primal. He is the gorilla transformer, you know, and he runs like a he runs like a gorilla. And yep, that is that is absolutely his character. Now, you had uh, also Michelle Yao. She played a maximal who was a falcon. You had, you know, David Soblov. Or Sobolov. He played Rhinox, the Maximal, who was a rhinoceros. I cannot believe that you also had, you know, you had Tongya Krissa. They played Cheetor, who was a Maximal, who played a cheetah. And really, I think the Maximals mattered to so many people including myself because the maximals all reminded everybody who is a little bit older of the transformer series called beast wars which was the transformers end up in ancient times and they all transform into animals instead of into vehicles and that was a really fun series. It had some weird twists and turns. It was a fully CGI series, kind of like the CGI series reboot. I mean, if you go back and look at the transformations now, the original ones definitely don't hold up super great. But it was really interesting for its time. And it did tell some pretty good stories. So... I think the Maximals are a great representation of those characters, even though it's not a direct, they took the Beast Wars Transformers and put them in this series. Because the interesting thing, truly, is that this is one of the first Transformer series where the Decepticons are not in this movie. They're not. That's actually the most interesting thing. So if you're looking for Optimus Prime to fight Megatron, he doesn't fight Megatron because Megatron doesn't show up at any point in this movie. Not for any end credit scene, not for any mid credit scene, at no point. He is just not in this movie. Instead, you are going to have a different villain. And that is a very familiar villain in Transformers lore, which is Unicron. He is the planet-sized Transformer. The Transformer that eats planets, a la, not Ultron, but the other Marvel villain, Galactus. He eats planets in order to feed and survive. So, Unicron of, Unicron, of course, had a great voice. He was played by Coleman Domingo. And big props to Coleman Domingo. 
he is the voice of Unicron, and he's also going to be soon one of the most hated men in America because he is going to be playing the main male antagonist in the movie The Color Purple. So, Coleman Domingo, I salute you. I think you're going to have a great year or two because if you are as good as you play in other roles, you know, you came off as threatening as a Transformer-sized robot. I think if you can play a planet-sized Transformer and be threatening, then you can definitely be the threatening male presence in the color purple, which is what that movie needs. You cannot have the color purple without a threatening male antagonist. And you cannot have Unicron if Unicron isn't threatening. And that is exactly what Unicron came off as. Just, I am going to kill everybody. I don't care about any of these other people. Now, Unicron is the main threat, but Unicron's got minions. So Unicron has his main minion, who are called the Terrorcons, because these Transformers inspire terror. Yeah, it's it's sometimes it is that bad when it comes to Transformers, or just that on the nose. So Scourge was actually played by uh, Peter Dinklage, and... I actually thought Peter Dinklage did a really good job as Scourge. He came off as being very, very threatening in this movie. He was, he sounded like he was having fun. Just, I am going to take you apart. This is going to be fun for me. I am going to kill you. I'm going to take a trophy and I'm going to put it on my body. And you know what? There ain't nothing you can do about it. And that was Scourge throughout the majority of this movie. He's like, the only person I'm scared of is my boss. You're not my boss, so I'm just going to kill you. And I think that was really just a great role in terms of one of your villains. One of your villains has to be fun as well as being evil. And I thought Peter Dinklage did that very well. Also, the Transformers franchise broke a little bit of ground in terms of diversity. And that was with uh, Michaela Ja Rodriguez, who played Nightbird, who was a Terracon ninja. Yes, you can be a Transformer and be a ninja. But the most important thing is that or is it Michaela or I think it's Michaela sorry but Michaela Ja Rodriguez is the first transgender actor to voice act in this franchise's entire history so big ups to you Miss Rodriguez I mean you're a terracon you're a bad guy but hey Everybody's got to start somewhere. Next thing you know, Nightbird could come back and Nightbird could be the hero or turn into an Autobot or she could come back and voice a completely new person. We'll never know. I can't tell the future. You know, it's in disguise. So <laughs> I'm just going to I'm just going to move on. But. The Transformers are the thing you come for in this movie. The Transformers don't really disappoint. They get the best lines. They get the best moments. Does that mean they get amazing moments? Sometimes. Sometimes there are moments that kind of fall flat. Sometimes there are moments where they don't. Honestly, the big thing that kind of bothered me about the Transformers was that the Transformers... As a whole, this is a group of beings who can transform into robots and they really just get abilities where it's we can do this because we are transformers. And at no point 
did I feel there was any fear of any of them getting hurt. And this has been a popular criticism of Marvel. So I'm not going to go real into it. But when they early on in the movie, something happens to one of the Transformers. I'll let you guess which one. And once it happened, I said, okay, so when are they going to bring that Transformer back? Because obviously that Transformer just can't stay dead. That would be too interesting. And sure enough, before the end of the movie, that Transformer's back. So it wasn't a huge, it was not a huge, uh, a huge surprise. The Transformers are for the kids. Adults are just there to bask in the nostalgia. So I understand that. I just would have, I would have appreciated if you're going to do that, then just get them out of harm's way and make them so that way they're hurt and not, oh, they're dead. But that's just me. The action in Transformers movies is a lot better than some of the other installments in Transformers. You can tell what's happening on the screen. A lot less moving camera, a lot less quick cuts. So the action just kind of stays in your face. CGI, for the most part, is solid. It's not amazing. It's not over the moon. It's solid. It doesn't ever rise to the level where I say, oh, this is really, really bad CGI. It also doesn't go down to the level where I thought this is terrible CGI. So... You got to give props where props are due. If they can do that, then, hey, I'm all for it. So, what's the bad in this movie? Bad is the dialogue. Dialogue is just really, really weak. It's not the strong suit of this movie at all. I understand why it's not the strong suit. That does not mean we don't get to acknowledge that. Also, one of the big problems that I had with this movie was the MacGuffin did not make any sense. And here's here's what I mean about the MacGuffin not making any sense. If your MacGuffin can not only release enough energy to bring something back, but also through a backfire, release enough energy to potentially destroy something, then you know what? It's too much. It's too much. And I know it didn't necessarily destroy the thing. I'm not going to spoil it, but I still think it's a little too much. So I'm just going to call it out so this movie at the end of the day this is the definition of it is a kids movie get off its back it has solid action not amazing action it's got a decent dialogue not amazing dialogue nothing about this movie from the actors to the action to the CGI are going to fully stand out. What they will do, however, is they will be just enough to keep you in your seat. They will do just enough so that way you won't necessarily feel like you wasted your money going to see this movie. And I think that's the most important thing about most movies. That's the bare minimum that you need to reach. And for Transformers Rise of the Beast, they reach it. So I'll tip my cap to them. They went in two short movies from a franchise when they did Transformers the last night that was DOA. Nobody thought they could bring this franchise back from the brink because it was just driven into the ground by too many Michael Bay explosions. And they've seemingly turned a corner to where 
you can reasonably expect a solid Transformers movie out of it. So like I said, I'll tip my cap to them. That is impressive to do in such a short time frame. Now what happens next? I don't know. They did drop a massive, massive hint at the end of this movie. Not in the end, in the credits. On what this movie will be. I'm not going to reveal what that hint is. That hint on what this franchise will become or what this franchise could entail will make or break this movie for a lot of people. I can foresee it now. And you might see it on the internet where people are really divided over that ending. Here's what I will say. If you were already down with the Transformers, I think you're going to be okay with the ending. It's one of those things where gut reaction, you might have one feeling, but when you really think about it, you're probably going to go the other way. So if you were having a great time and you saw that and that just sunk it for you, just take a deep breath. Think about it five minutes later and it probably won't matter as much. If you still feel that way, then I completely understand. But in my opinion, this movie is a home-cooked meal. It's not amazing. It's not terrible. It's okay. It's a solid movie. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with being a solid movie. This was not promising to be anything else but solid. I would rather have solid than a dumpster fire. And that is the epitome of what Transformers Rise of the Beast is. I'd rather have a solid movie than another dumpster fire in Transformers The Last Night. So, what are your thoughts on Transformers Rise of the Beast? Did you like it? Did you hate it? Did you look at the twist and you feel like I'm willing to give up on Transformers for it? Or did you look at that twist and you were saying, I am so happy that we got that twist. I will leave it to you and please leave your comments in the comment section down below or send me an email and let me know what you think. Now, as you guys know, by the time this podcast comes out, it'll be June 14th. So that means two days after this podcast comes out. That will be the release date, the wide release date for the latest movie in the DC Cinematic Universe, which is The Flash. This movie has been very anticipated, you know, for a couple of years now. You know, it's got some heavy hitters. It's got Ezra Miller. It's got Michael Keaton. It's got Michael Shannon. It's essentially a movie where... We already see in the trailers the Flash. He's traveling back in time with his powers because that's a classic power of the Flash. He's so fast that he can travel back in time. And he's doing that to change the events of his past. And by changing the events of his past, guess what? It has a big impact on his present as well as his future. So... That's not super surprising, to be honest. The Flash has done it many times. If you are a fan of the Flash TV show, you've seen the Flash travel back in time and make things better slash worse for himself. That's not that's nothing new. The thing that is new with this movie is while the movie is heavily anticipated, one of the actors in this movie is not very much anticipated. In fact, I would say from a lot of people's point of view, he is the definition of, we don't want this guy here. And that is Ezra Miller. Now, is it because of Ezra Miller's acting? From all indications, Ezra Miller's acting is being generally pretty decently received. The problem with Ezra Miller is not the Ezra Miller that's on the camera or the Ezra Miller that's filming. 
It's Ezra Miller and all of the situations that he's been in off camera. Some of them have been caught on camera, like the time when he was caught, you know, choking a fan out in a different country, which was very rough to look at. Some of it has not. Some of it's been reported to breaking and entering, to assaulting people in Hawaii, to traveling across state lines with a minor. It was really, really wild what was going on with Ezra Miller. So I think it is an important question to have. When it comes to a lot of people's feelings, which is, well, to say it's a large number of people. I'm not going to say majority because I honestly just don't know. I will say that there are several people out there who feel that they don't want to go see The Flash. They do not want to endorse Ezra Miller and the things he has done by going to watch a movie that he is in and putting money in the studio's pocket for it. And honestly, I think if you have that opinion, I think that's a perfectly valid opinion. I think you get to decide what you want to do with your money. And I think it's important to know where you will draw the line as a person. Now, When it comes to myself, I am a person that wants to try to dip their toe into reviewing movies. So when it comes to me, I'm going to see the movie. And because of that dichotomy, because of the instance of, is it in fact, right for you to go see a movie from somebody who has caused, you know, who's been in several situations who may well have caused people harm. Is it a good thing to go endorse that person and endorse what work that person has done? I think this is an honest question. That should be asked. Now, I do think it's one of those questions where we need to not necessarily look at it from both sides. I think we need to chart out the full scope of what is being asked. And I'm going to relate this to the situation that I ran into when it came to the video game for Hogwarts Legacy. Now, if you do not know about J.K. Rowling... J.K. Rowling is, and she's called herself this, she is a self-stylized TERF, and that is a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. So if you want to know what that term means, you can go look it up. But J.K. Rowling doesn't necessarily agree with any person who transitions from being a man into a woman. And she would think that those people are still women. Now, I am not saying that I agree with J.K. Rowling. I'm just pointing out what the term means and my understanding of what her stance is. Now, because of that, many people have boycotted her game. And that is the newest Hogwarts video game that came out called Hogwarts Legacy. They were saying the best thing to do is to just not put money into J.K. Rowling's pocket. And the arguments behind that were, I think, compelling. It was saying the developers for the game have already made money off this game. They've been developing it for years, so if you don't put money in the studio's pocket, then guess what? You're not taking away money from 
the developers. You're not taking away money from the people who are genuinely going to be hurt. You're really only going to impact the studio as a whole. And you're going to impact J.K. Rowling. That's who you're going to hurt. And that's the important thing. Now, I do think that these arguments are, for the most part, true. With a little bit of a caveat. And what I mean by that caveat is this. If you live in the United States, especially, you live in a capitalist society. So when it comes to when it comes to anything about observing something in an ethical mindset, that needs to be observed through that lens. And when it comes to, hey, if I cause something to fail, you can't just think about the immediate impact of that thing failing. You also need to think about the downstream impact of that thing failing. So, yes, is it true that in the case of Hogwarts Legacy that the person who will be impacted the most will be the development studio and J.K. Rowling? Absolutely. That's absolutely true. Is it also true to say that the studio will then turn around and place the blame on the people who created the game by downsizing if the game doesn't do well because they spent so much money on this game that they're expecting a return and if they don't get their return then they're going to take away people's jobs absolutely that's absolutely something that could happen now to counteract that point you could also say the studio could do that regardless the the game could make a lot of money and they could still downsize and that is also a very true point now myself do i think that one is going to be more likely than the other yes however it is a very true and i think insightful thing to say that it is more likely to happen if a studio loses money that they will let go of people than them gaining money and them letting people go. It's much more likely in one scenario than the other one. Or if you had to put percentage on it, one might be 30% and the other one is close to 95%. So not to... Not to take here nor there, but if you were to genuinely impact a company, if something fails, then the company is most likely to take that out not on the consumer. They're most likely to take that out on their employees by trimming staff so that way they can keep their profits relatively up or keep their operating cost relatively stable. We've seen this in so many different companies. We see that with companies now who are cutting back on staff because they went through a hiring boom. And now that the pandemic has mostly moved into an endemic. And the pandemic isn't really over. It's just more of an endemic, which means it's gone from a place where it could be stopped to something that generally will just keep going like the common flu the common flu is an endemic it's not a pandemic it's something where it will be with us for a fairly long time at least in my opinion so let's switch that to movies because that happened with the video game now that didn't affect the video game studio overly much hogwarts legacy was an incredibly successful game a lot of people played it a lot of people had fun with it it was a very very successful game now flash 
forward or fast forward to this movie. The studios, you could make the same argument here. The actors have all been paid for this for this movie. The crew has all been paid for this movie. So if you don't go see this movie, you're really sticking it to the studio, the production studio and the distributor that put this out. You know, Warner Brothers Pictures, who is the distributor for this movie. And you're also sticking it to Ezra Miller. Because you are saying with your wallet that I do not want to see Ezra Miller. I do not condone his actions in this movie. So I am not going to see this movie. Period. End of story. And I think that I think if that's your stance, I think that's 100% valid. I think you should. You should always have a point where you know where things have gone too far. And I applaud anybody who does have that. I do think, and this is not a but to that. This is not adding on to that. I do think when it comes to this situation, we do need to think that this won't have just an upstream impact where it will hurt Warner Brothers and the CEO of Warner Brothers. If this movie doesn't do great, then... Generally, when movies don't do great at the box office, when they don't even break even at the box office, it impacts the creative staff that worked on the movie. And it's also going to impact at least some of the cast and crew. Maybe not all of the cast and crew, but it's definitely impact those who are front and center in the movie. We've seen this happen before. For me, one of my favorite examples is the movie John Carter. If you remember, John Carter, ha John Carter had Taylor Kitsch in that movie, in the lead role. Let me, uh, let me look that up. Yep, Taylor Kitsch. He was the lead actor in the 2012 Disney movie, John Carter, based off the book series, John Carter of Mars. Now, I saw that movie, and I actually liked that movie a good bit. And I think many people who saw that movie said, I really like this movie. I think it's a solid movie. It's not bad. It's not terrible. It's a solid movie. I think most people put the onus for the movie not being great on Disney from not promoting the movie incredibly well. So... You look at that, he had John Carter, that didn't do great. Then he had a movie right after that called Battleship. And Battleship was not a good movie. It's a fun movie to look at now. And honestly, I would love to hear your thoughts if you guys want to hear like a review of the 2012 movie Battleship. I saw it with my family for Thanksgiving. It was an absolute blast. It was not a good movie, but it was an absolute blast to see it. And I think it's very easy, especially when you're given, when you're an actor, to, if you are in a bad movie, if your name is attached to a bad movie, it can haunt you. It can haunt your career for years after that. We've seen stories of actors who talked about how this bad movie really put a roadblock on their career for years to come, especially if they're relatively new or they don't have that one or two movie in the bank that people can go back and can rely on. And I think some examples of there are like Alicia Silverstone in Batman and Robin. That was a terrible movie. She was one of the front and center leads of that movie, and it didn't reflect well. Uh, 
I would say Nicolas Cage in half the movies he's done, but the thing with Nicolas Cage is Nicolas Cage has a cachet of some great movies. So it's mostly just become his shtick where he will take whatever movie you put in front of him and Nicolas Cage will give you a Nick Cage performance. If you want a great Nick Cage performance, you'll get a great one. And if you want a terrible Nick Cage performance, he will give you that terrible Nick Cage performance. But let's talk about even like John Travolta. John Travolta's career was almost destroyed by Battlefield Earth. And that was a terrible movie. Terrible movie. I mean, really, really bad. Now, I know the movies I'm talking about here, most of them are just bad movies. So, I know most people are just going to say, well, if it was a bad movie, then that's just what the actor deserved, right? And for the most part, I would 100% agree with that. But in Hollywood, what matters just as much if a movie is really good, at least from the outside looking in, I'm not an insider in Hollywood, but from what I've seen, what matters just as much if a movie is good or bad is if the movie makes money or it doesn't. You could have a terrible movie that makes so much money and that will be the silver bullet because you can make money for the studios. If you can make money for a movie studio, you will always find work. And if you suddenly become an actor, even if you make great movies, but they don't make any money, you will quickly find yourself out of work. Because it does not matter if you're a good actor, if you cannot pay back the money that studios invest in the movies that you make. It's, it can be sometimes just that simple in regards to what kind of movies you do and how much money you make. Now, do I think from the cast that Ezra Miller is going to be impacted if this movie, let's say, absolutely bombs? I think he will be hurt a little bit. I don't think he'll be the main person who will be hurt. And it's not because Ezra Miller won't lay the claim as being the reason this movie tanked. It's not because of that. It is because there is at least one person on this cast who I think will get it even worse. Not because I think they'll do a bad job or because they deserve it. I think it's because... They are the one with the most to lose if this movie doesn't do well. And it's not because they are bad. It's literally just because they are so new in terms of this being their first big movie. And that's Sasha Cali, the person who's going to play, you know, Cara Zorrell, a.k.a. Supergirl. I think she's got the most to lose because when you look at it, Michael Keaton, he's box office. He's Hollywood royalty. He's done so many great movies. No one is going to care overly much if Michael Keaton does a bad movie. No one is going to care overly much if Michael Shannon has a bad movie because Michael Shannon's done a lot of great movies. You know, you have... Ron Livingston, you know, you got Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller has done some pretty good movies. So I think if he gets his act together, he can recover from this kind of movie. But Sasha Cali, Kiersey Clemens, these when you are in the beginning of your career, that is generally when you are the most vulnerable to having one movie derail what you do. And I think that's my greatest concern with 
if you boycott this movie. And I'm not saying don't boycott this movie. I'm not saying don't boycott this movie. I think you should stand by whatever makes you feel okay with this movie. I don't want anybody to go to this movie and have, oh my God, what have I done moment by seeing this movie. What I do want to say, at least a little bit, and this isn't overly much, but this is just a little bit. It is when you, whenever you think about causing impacts on things that happen, you always got to think about not only the upfront impact of what happens, you do need to think about downstream impact. And downstream impact can be way bigger than we can ever think about. This is honestly true. We can also think that, hey, with Kiersey Clements, Kiersey Clements does have some good stuff underneath her, you know, underneath her hat because she has, you know, she was in Dope. She was in uh, Sweetheart. She was in, you know, Scoob, which didn't really do great honestly i'm not sure why i brought that one up but when you are in when you are in the role of you're really trying to build your catalog being in bad movies can negatively impact that being in movies that don't make money also have that same impact Hollywood at its core is a business before anything else. It is not art house cinema where making the best work is the goal. Making money is the first goal. If you make great cinema alongside that, that is an amazing bonus. But that's not the goal. The goal is make some money. So if you end up being in a lot of stuff that just doesn't make money where even though people like you in it even though you do well in it you just not making money in the things you're doing guess what that starts to that could start to become the identity that you bring not somebody who can you know be a lead, not somebody who can be the standout in a movie, you start to become the person who maybe you're relegated to a secondary role or maybe it takes you so much longer to stand and be this amazing lead actor, not because you don't have the chops, simply because studios are not, studios aren't willing to give you that shot. Because they don't think you can make them money. And I know that seems really callous. And it is in several ways. I do think it's something that we do need to honor. And we've seen it happen. We saw it happen with Taylor Kitsch. Taylor Kitsch isn't a terrible actor. Taylor Kitsch has been in some bad movies. He's not a terrible actor. And... As I said, John Carter of Mars's greatest sin wasn't that it was a bad movie. It was that it didn't make money. So I think that is where you need to make your choice. Make it with all the information available. Don't just make it with the thought that if I make this choice, it's only going to impact one group choice especially when you choose with your wallet it impacts a lot of people so i'm saying do whatever you're going to do and i will support anybody if they don't want to go see this movie or if they do want to go see this movie personally i'm going to go see this movie because i'm going to give you my honest opinion on it after the movie comes out and if it's terrible i'll tell you it's terrible if it's good, I will tell you it is fine. I still, no matter what, would think if they do another 
Flash movie after this, Ezra Miller needs to be gone and they need to put somebody else because while him being in the movie might not be the big might not be the big anchor around this movie's you know success it will become the anchor to stopping it from reaching the next level if he stays the flash in the next movie you could make as many excuses as you want about Ezra Miller being in this movie that everything he did was after the movie had finished shooting and it would take so much more money and so much more time to reshoot the movie and CGI him out of the movie and CGI somebody else into this movie. You could make all those excuses. You cannot make that excuse on the next Flash movie if he's still in the franchise. So we're going to see what happens. And I will let you guys know what I think about the flash when it comes out. And I want to hear your thoughts. I want to hear if you, if any of what I said, if it resonated with anybody, if you just vehemently disagree with it, if you think that, you know, you heard it and you just say, I'm still going to boycott this movie. I'm fine. If you do it, but I I do want to hear your guys thoughts and what you think. So let me know in the comments or an email what you guys think, and I'll be happy to hear from you. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. If you want to reach out to me, you can find me in several places. You can contact me on Twitter at Two Sides Coin. You can find us on Instagram at Two Sides of a Coin. That's T-W-O-S-I-D-E-Z of a coin all one word you can email us at two sides podcast at gmail.com and you can listen to the podcast on podbean on spotify and also on apple Podcasts. so we hope to really hear from you guys i love to hear and discuss anything you guys want to talk about and we'll talk to you later